Well, I think the most important role that we play is to keep people out of the headlines. A mistake on compliance or something that a client gets audited by the FEC because their compliance isn't good can be a problem for them. And we are helping drive them over the finish line, but we are keeping uh, problems out of their lives that could prevent them from reaching the finish line. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Today's guest is a longtime leader in the important but uncelebrated profession called political compliance, the business of making sure that campaigns and organizations follow state or federal election laws around disclosure of the money they raise and spend. Christine Neville, after many years of running the compliance practice for Perkins Coie Political Law Group, is taking that practice, which serves the top echelon of Democrats and related organizations, independent under the name Premier Political Compliance. Christine talked about what she's learned along the way, what happened at Perkins to spur this change, and what she expects to do under her new banner. So first, my sponsor, then my interview with Christine Neville at Premier Political Compliance. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Sure. My name is Christine Neville. I work in the compliance field um, in politics. So for about 30 years now, I have helped political committees comply with the laws that they are regulated by. Most of that is a campaign finance disclosure piece, but there are also day-to-day rules that they have to follow in terms of what they can raise and what they can spend and how they can do it. And I help them comply with those laws. 30 years in generally the same area is so rare these days. You know, most people that I, when I see their resume, it's like year and a half segments going on to many things one after another. What was it about this that's kept you in the field? Well, I started out my career on campaigns. So for about 10 years, I moved from campaign to campaign doing various things. And if you look at my resume from the early part of my career, you will see those, you know, nine months here, a year there. And I just sort of bounced around doing various functions. Some of them were compliance functions, um, but I also managed campaigns and I lived out of my car and I traveled around the country. This field allowed me to 
to stay in politics, which I love, and have some stability in my career. So no one else was actually doing it at the time. At the time I started, there were a couple of people who did this professionally, but they were sole proprietors and they handled a limited number of committees. And since I started in the field, it's actually grown exponentially by political committees deciding that Cousin Iris cannot handle the campaign finance compliance and that they needed professionals to help with their functionality. So I have sort of seen this industry grow and that's actually kept me in the field. I have been at a law firm um, for 24 of those years and that's sort of given me a, a unique perspective. It's helped me see the legal side of it as well as the, the practical compliance side. So that I learn something new every day and it helps me stay interested and engaged. You know, I didn't really know about your early days in campaigning. Did you grow up in a political family? What attracted you into politics? My f parents were both politically um, attuned. I, they were not activists, but I remember even from a very young age hearing a lot of political comments from both my parents. It just sort of it was an area that interested me. Uh, and when I got to high school and then into college, I realized that people actually did this for a living. I got an internship when I was in college on a congressional campaign, and it ballooned from there. It's sort of the kind of a field that you get into and then you can't really get out because people know that you are out there working and that you have expertise and that um, you, they want you on the next campaign. So you get a lot of calls from people that you worked with before that that sort of pulls you into it. My parents actually did not understand the field when I started it. They <laughs> thought that this was the kind of thing that you did for a summer and then you went and got a responsible job at a bank right, with some education on their end too. I, I noticed you went to University of Virginia. Did you study politics there? I did. Yes. I, were, uh, I studied under Larry Sabato, who was our um, famous professor there at the time doing political work, whose um, slogan at the time, and it still may be as he teaches, is politics is a good thing. And it sort of drew me in. And actually, he was the reason that I decided to major um, in American government, as it was called at the time. It's probably called something else now. I took his government 101 class, and um, I've realized that this is you know, taking my love of, of politics and, and working it into a career was something I could do. So you had that internship. What was the first job out of college? So I uh, graduated from college and I got a call from the person who had managed the campaign that I had interned on and who said, do you want to come to New Hampshire and work on Dick Gephardt's presidential campaign in 1987? So I said, sign me up. And I drove to New Hampshire and, and the rest is history. Well, what was it about that campaign? What did you do there that continued to you know, make it interesting for you? Well, I didn't do anything that was terribly exciting. I did field work, um, but I think it was the camaraderie and the sense of mission and purpose uh, that really is is kind of addictive in this field. Um, you feel like you're making a difference. That was the primary reason. Uh, you said you, you almost 10 years uh, of campaigns. What, was there a particular one that stands out in your memory as 
something that you are glad you did or? The thing that stands out most to me um, was Harris Wofford's 1991 special election where he beat Dick Thornburg um, in a highly regarded Senate race. And uh, just the the fact that it was a special election, it attracted a, a tremendously talented group of people. We were underdogs and we came back and won. And we just, in fact, had our uh, 30th anniversary party just last month of people who still keep in touch and, and stay together. So that that was sort of the most exciting because it was um, something that was unexpected and um, it was fairly short. We started in May and the election was in November. So it was an all hands on deck, all pulling in the same direction um, type of victory. So that was a lot of fun. What was your role on that campaign? I was the operations director. So I did compliance on that race and I also did um, did operations. What do you think makes a good operations director on a campaign? I think the ability to stay calm in a storm. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've always had that, haven't you? <laughs> I, I have. I try. Yeah. What occasions you joining Perkins Coie and, and, you know, working with their political law group and starting their compliance practice? Well, I got a call from a woman who I'd actually worked with on the Wofford campaign who had been in that role for about a year and she was moving on and uh, thought of me for this role because she knew I had the compliance experience. She knew that I was sort of wrapping up my tolerance of working on campaigns and being on the road for nine or 10 months out of the year. And so she recommended me. Um, I went in and interviewed and I got the job back in 1997. Who was that woman? Alicia Alexion. Yeah, I thought that was because it was that was right about the time I was starting a company to do software for compliance, among other things. And I think it wasn't long after that that I ran across you and talked you into starting to use some of our software on some of your campaigns, right? Indeed. We grew up together. I know. It was, uh, it was the Y2K <laughs> issue back in the day. If you remember that, we had been using a, a software that somebody had developed and then had gone out of business. And we, we continued to use the software, but there was no support in it at all. So we knew we needed to make a change. And we found you and the rest is history. I was pretty excited about having a law firm that did a lot of compliance for a lot of big clients as a user. I haven't really talked to you about this. From your side of things, what were you seeing as that space was developing in technology and practices back in those early days for both of us? Right. So the the thing that stood out to me in those those early days of of the work at, at Perkins was that it was a big transitional era from people preparing reports manually or with a simple software solution to something that was much more highly technical. A lot of campaigns I know were still preparing their reports with index cards and typewriters. That was not becoming sustainable. The activity level was just ratcheting up. 
the congressional campaign I interned on in college had raised half a million dollars, and that was an eye-popping number. Everyone was just stunned that anybody could raise that kind of money to run for Congress. That also lent itself to the fact that you have to have a, a, a better way to track contribution limits and to prepare reports. So we definitely needed something to roll out to all of our clients. We were taking on more and more compliance responsibilities. The law firm had decided, Bob Bauer, who was running the group, had decided that this was a nice thing to be able to offer clients was the ability to prepare their reports to and make sure that they were following the laws on the front end and then reporting on the back end. So we were taking on more and more clients to do the compliance function, and we just needed some way to efficiently track and prepare those reports. I mean, it was around that time, also, I remember that we were kind of transitioning from printing out a giant stack of paper to hand to the FEC to electronic filing, at least on the House side, and then later on the Senate side. And that had to be written into the software, I remember. And uh, sometimes uh, the system receiving it was a little funky and it was something that had to evolve and change as people were doing it. Definitely. Um, in addition to the increased activity level, the reports were getting longer and longer. So a lot of the Senate reports, which we filed on paper for a lot longer than we did on the House side or the presidential side, sometimes were running into the hundreds of thousands of pages of reports uh, and just printing them out alone could take hours and hours. Definitely something had to give. Um, now, you know, having seen a report that's 300,000 pages is, is not unusual at the Senate level or in some of the larger PACs. But back then, um, having to print it out was, was something that you didn't want to have to do and get it signed and get it back. I remember on Hillary Clinton's Senate race, we printed uh, her report in my office while she was printing hers and hers just so that in case a printer failed, there would be a backup. It was kind of crazy. I remember having to use four or five printers in our office. We would print various sections of the report on various printers in case there was a jam or a delay or something like that. Yeah. I don't think uh, people who are not insiders know how big a role that law firm, Perkins Coie, played for the Democratic Party for the longest time in uh in all of these things having to do with elections with recounts with compliance with defending campaigns tell me a little bit more about like what it was like being in the political law group of that important firm well it was definitely the hub of democratic election activity most of the candidates in the major races um, came to us a lot of the the PACs um, came to us. There was a synergy to that. Um, you know, we helped facilitate um, a strategy, a legal strategy for a lot of them. Um, it was something that was incredibly exciting to be a part of and to feel like you were helping progressives win and to um, to sort of standardize a lot of, of political activity that was going on out there. What was your job like and how did it change over time? 
Well, I think the, the biggest change was just the size of, of the group as we took on more and more work. When I got there, it was me um, and I inherited one employee who was then fired within a couple of months of me arriving. <laughs> so for me, for a while, it was just me. And I had a, a handful of clients uh, for whom I, I did the work. And now there are 21 of us and we are doing work for, you know, hundreds of uh, clients at any one given time. That's sort of the biggest change. Um, and then just the complexity of, of the work that the clients do. The law is always changing. The clients are always trying to push the envelope. So they, um, for a while, everybody had non-federal accounts and were engaged on the non-federal level. And then ICRA passed and all the non-federal accounts went away. And now there is a, an increasingly um, prevalent non-federal practice with a lot of committees, but just in, in a different structure. So just seeing the laws change and the strategies change over the years has been fascinating. Are there like any stories worth telling about your relationship with certain clients to give people a flavor of the work that you do? I don't know if there's stories that I can actually share too much about, but just being in this role gives you an opportunity to really be a member of the team, the client's team. There are strategic decisions to be made. Um, they will call and say, we want to do X. And you will say to them, well, you can't do X, but if you do Y, then you can achieve your goal. Um, but it's just in a different way because you know so the laws are written in such a way that you can't do X. That is sort of the, the interesting part is, is just being able to really help them with their strategic goals and to be considered a member of their team. You mentioned that when you started, there was a couple of sole practitioners doing this, that a lot of it, I think, was done by people's cousins and things like that, uh, much less professionalized, and that the industry has expanded a lot. How do you see that space now? There are other firms, there are other law firms, there are other sole practitioners and small groups. And what do you see as the competition in the in the compliance space for Democrats and their allies? Well, as the campaign finance laws got more complicated and as the activity level increased, people realized that um, their cousin wasn't going to be able to do the compliance. And it started with mostly Senate races uh, tended to outsource first. Now you see a lot more outsourcing on the House side um, and the presidential side. The presidential side always was able to hire people internally. So they would have a full-time staff of people who did the compliance. Now you see a little bit more outsourcing, even on the presidential level. And there are a lot more 
PACs and other um, political committees not associated with candidates who have increased um, activity level too. And some of those have internal staff, but some of them would like to outsource it. The most exciting thing that I've seen over my career is just the increasing prominence of political compliance as a field, as something that people get into, they become professionals at, and they stay in the industry. The nice thing is the industry is recession-proof. The compliance um, is something that all the political committees need to do all the time. We've never been able to take in as much work as we would like to take in. So there is plenty of work to go around in the field. Um, they, uh, there are a number of firms that do this now. There is room for more people to get into this field this field. Um, And it's a fairly collegial um, group of people who do this. We all know each other, especially on the Democratic side. And I feel like there's not a tremendous amount of competition because if we don't get client X, then we'll get client Y. There's a lot of work and not enough people to do it and certainly not enough people who do it uh, well to be able to have to worry about competing with each other. So I think that we do uh, collaborate a lot. We talk about various strategies. We talk about certain ways that we report certain things. And I think that has helped the entire uh, field of people who do this. Do you think it ever makes a difference in sort of winning and losing. One frustration that I always had with building software in the space was like, how much does that really matter? How do you feel about that relationship to the game of politics? Well, I think the most important role that we play is to keep people out of the headlines. A mistake on compliance or something that a client gets audited by the FEC because their compliance isn't good can be a problem for them. And keeping the problems out of their lives allow them to focus on the things they really need to do. We are helping drive them over the finish line, but we are keeping uh, problems out of their lives that could prevent them from reaching the finish line. Tracking your law group a little bit from outside, I noticed that Bob Bauer ended up in the Obama White House. I noticed, you know, Mark Elias is been in very you know prominent places in the press on a lot of political stuff and that he recently left Perkins to start his own group what's changing over there what's going on why are people uh leaving or starting their own enterprises so yes uh Mark Elias and a number of the lawyers have opened their own boutique firm just to do campaign finance and election law work there are some lawyers who are still at Perkins Coie working in the space as well. Um, and just that fact has led us, because we have clients that went to the Elias Law Group and we have clients that stay behind at Perkins Coie. So in order to um, allow us to keep doing the work that we are doing, uh, we are forming um, a company to work as a third party vendor um, to, to uh, continue the work that we are doing. What's the company called or going to be called? The company is called Premier Political Compliance. Um, We are uh, newly incorporated um, and we are launching on December 15th. Does that feel exciting? It is exciting. Um, It gives us 
um, a lot of flexibility um, that we that we didn't have uh, at the law firm because the law firm is is structured to service lawyers who are billing hourly, and this gives us a lot more freedom to work with clients in, in the various ways that they uh, would prefer to work. It's a very very hard business to be in because all of the deadlines are right on top of each other. Um, think of a CPA firm at tax time, except that none of the deadlines can be extended and you can't go out and hire additional CPAs at tax time to help you get through the, the crunch time because it's such a technical field. Having the ability to um, have people who work seasonally, have people who work part-time um, actually is very exciting to do. And we are very excited to be able to sort of extend our offerings um, beyond just the clients of the law firm. So um, it is a super exciting time. Are you the owner have you spread the ownership? How's that looking? I have. Um, so I am the CEO, but I have a group of folks, uh, seven other people who are partial owners as well. They have been with with me for a long time. Um, we have a couple of people who've been with me for um, over two decades or almost two decades. They are a talented group of people. They are, you know, incredibly good at what they do. And, you know, we wanted to just keep the band together and be able to um, to extend into the for-profit space and, and, you know, be able to offer our clients a lot of flexibility. You said something like over 20 people were under you. Does that mean that only seven are moving over or those are just part of ownership. How big is the firm as you start? So there'll be 21 of us. It is our current campaign finance team um, from Perkins. All of them are planning on joining us. Eight of us are the partial owners of, of the company. The, the rest of the folks are more junior, but they. Um, I really wanted to give people a, a path to owning something. The other um, downside of working at a law firm is, you know, you could work your entire career and they say, here's your proverbial gold watch and and you, you know, go off and, and play pickleball for the rest of, of your <laughs> retirement years or what, whatever one does. And this actually gives people a role to owning something. When you work for a big organization, there's not a lot of incentive to work very hard. Your paycheck keeps coming in and this, this gives people that incentive and, and gives them something to strive for. Are you assured of having the business of both Perkins and the Elias Law Group? That's our intention. Um, most of them are will continue to refer work to us. Um, and so, like I said before, there's there's no end to the amount of work out there. We'll just need to to structure it a little bit differently than we have before. Well, obviously, you will have that stream of clients still coming from where it used to come, but probably you'll want to look outside of that as well. Will you be building like a business development function into your operation? What are the ambitions for growth, if there are any? Well, I mean, I think that we can certainly um, grow, I think, a little bit more easily than we could within the law firm. And the the problem is that you don't want to grow sort of 
quickly or too fast because you want to make sure that that all the work is getting done and you want to make sure that all your people are being uh, trained appropriately and supervised appropriately because there are literally hundreds of places every day that somebody could make a mistake that could cause the client um, some sort of problem. So it is very much a situation where you want to try to set it up to avoid that. And so I've always tried to do more of a slow growth model where people are, you know, brought in and they're trained. It usually takes us about six months to train somebody to do even sort of the simplest functions and then let them continue their growth and learn more and more about the field and about different types of political communities and how to do the compliance. So it's it's making sure that all of those bases are covered. Um, but yes, I certainly think that there would be uh, room room for growth. I mean, I think we are going to try to maintain a relatively exclusive client base and, you know, do their their work well. Um, we are going to try not to overextend and not be able to to meet the the requirements and the filing deadlines. Have you uh, considered it all growing by acquisition? <laughs> There's some very good people out there who uh, have their own groups. Maybe you could add them. Um, we certainly could. I am open to um, any kind of, of future. I'm talking to some of the other firms out there about how we could work together in certain certain areas because we have a fairly collegial group of people in the field. Um, there's a, a, a unlimited number of things that we could work together on. Perhaps down the line, that would be you know working more closely together. I'm sort of not sure at this point. We'll have to get our sea legs under us and and start start operations before we can make any of those decisions. But I think that's certainly something that's um, that we could do in the future. Christine, this is a different job. Uh, it may not feel yet like it, it is entirely. Maybe it does. What do you think changes about what you're doing from being situated within a law group to now helming a for-profit enterprise that's outside? Um, yes, it certainly is going to be different. Um, we are going to be responsible for making payroll, um, which we've never had to do before. We've also had a lot of administrative support. We have a human relations department. We have a tech support department, and we're going to have to structure all that um, on our own. And so, yes, it will be it will be different, um, but I think we have all worked together for a long time. We don't have to face any of those you know, challenges of, of hiring a bunch of, of new people or training people. I think that we can, you know, sort of from a, an operations standpoint, we can uh, essentially keep doing what we're doing. But yes, now we will have to track the budget and the bottom line a little bit more than we had to before. What do you think the biggest challenge is going to be? I think the biggest challenge is going to be just the first year or two of operations. It's not a high overhead business. I think personnel uh, would is definitely necessary and we need computers and we need software. But beyond that, we don't have a lot of needs and, and we may actually keep working virtually for some period of time. We might not actually even need an office. 
I think it's it's going to be figuring out what we actually need and the the schedule to bring bring on new functionality. Do we get an office this year? Do we expand and and bring on somebody to do the HR function, for example? Until then, I think that we are all going to have to do the heavy lifting of the business side of it in addition to doing the compliance work. Whenever you present a different face to the world like you are about to, there is a little bit of a risk that clients might reconsider relationships. How have you thought about how to reassure the clients that they want to stay with you versus look around and consider other options? Well, I think we have a good relationship with most of our clients and we've been doing compliance for some of them for a really long time. It's very complex to actually change your compliance firm. The political committees have a lot of different ways of operating and having somebody understand their operations and their needs um, is sort of invaluable. So um, most of the clients that we've talked to are interested in having the same folks do the same work um, and they understand that that there will be sort of a different structure, somebody different to pay, but hopefully their worlds will not change very much. And I think that's attractive to most of them. It always seemed to me that compliance firms had an opportunity to do more broad financial work for their clients to help with budgets, to help with payments. You know, I don't know to what extent you do that already or would like to broaden out your offering. What are you thinking there? We do a lot of that already. We have found over the years that doing the day-to-day bookkeeping um, helps tremendously um, from screening contributions, tracking limits, on the receipt side, just doing the the data imports and cleaning up the data so that uh, you don't have any duplicate entries and you can track people's contribution limits helps uh, us tremendously on the back end. If we have clients who are doing that functionality, they may not understand a lot of the very detailed rules about what you're required to do and when you're required to send donors letters to get them to confirm things. And there's any number of items that they will um, not necessarily understand how to do or how to do well. And then when they send us their work, then we have to spend a lot of time cleaning up and going behind them and figuring out what they may not have done correctly. So we found early on that doing sort of the soup to nuts um, compliance function. So we do all their bookkeeping, we screen all their contributions, we cut all of their disbursements, helps us because we are caught up and we know that it was done correctly according to all the, the regulations on the front end. And then we are able to produce the, the reports more easily. So we do a lot of that function already. We do budgeting for some clients. Um, we certainly help them, you know, if they have certain budget categories that they want to track, we accommodate that. Um, but we are fairly in depth on budgeting with a few clients. And, you know, we certainly can offer that area. I'm a little out of date on this. How have the software offerings that are relevant changed since I was 
working with you? Are there decent competing packages for doing compliance that some clients use or, or are you still mostly on NGP van? Are there other political financial tools that go into the mix? What, what do you see in the world of software and compliance? So NGP Van is certainly still the predominant player on the Democratic side. It is affordable. It is something that has been developed enough over the years that people can use it right out of the box. There are competing software packages out there. I do see trade associations, some corporations using sort of really high-end software packages that are primarily designed for grassroots outreach and that sort of thing. So there's an additional functionality where they want to reach their members or their executives and, and communicate with them in various ways. And they are the ones that will go out and spend $20,000 a month on their software package. Um, the good thing about NGP is that it is affordable, especially on the candidate side. There are a lot of people who have been doing that work for a long time who can help change the packaging if there are any specific laws that change or new forms that come out. Um, they are right on top of that. Most of the other smaller players uh, in the industry either will focus on a particular state and their federal side isn't ready for prime time. It takes years to develop, as you know, um, a software package to be able to comply with sort of the really complicated things that sometimes clients need to do in reporting. And they're just not, they don't understand what's required and they don't track the changes very well. So um, it's sort of frustrating to have to use them. We don't have a lot of clients who use other packages. There are a couple, but um, generally a frustrating experience. How about in the budget area? What do you recommend people use? Is, is it like uh, kind of a QuickBooks world now or there's a war chest, which is a, a package that is aimed at congressional campaigns and others. Uh, what do you see in for tools for handling budgets? Most of our clients use QuickBooks right now. Um, it is relatively affordable, although the pricing keeps going up all the time. And it's something that, that you can use without a lot of um, knowledge about how to do accounting. Um, I've not used War Chest before. I certainly think that it is an area that there could be growth in, especially um, software designed specifically for political committees. It's sort of a, a ripe area if anyone wants to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> how do you think about the boundaries of your practice in terms of what types of committees you would not serve? Well, we would not serve any Republican committees. We do just progressive committees and organizations. We do do a few corporate PACs that do make contributions on both sides of the aisle, but primarily it's a partisan, it's going to be a partisan practice and continue to be. Um, most of the, uh, almost all of the people who work for us um, have are very strongly partisan and have joined us because they want to be part of that partisan world. Do you have to worry about cybersecurity, given that you're dealing with data that isn't yet public or might be proprietary to campaigns? Do, how much do you worry about that? 
We worry about cybersecurity a lot. In fact, in setting up our new business, it's my primary focus um, that we are are um, looking into. Our clients expect um, us to to have cybersecurity functionality in place. Generally, we do not receive a lot of of private information. Most of the information that somebody might want to to locate um, actually exists outside our purview. It's on a third-party vendor's website or using their software. Um, but you know, we constantly worry about cyber to other types of, of scams and cyber attacks that will affect our clients because our clients are going to be the the target. It wouldn't necessarily be be us, but um, we would need to need to keep an eye on that and and plan for it. What else would you like people to know about your new enterprise? We're just sort of getting started. I would want people to know that we are out there, um, that we have a tremendous amount of experience and depth in, in compliance. And if anybody is, is in need of compliance services, they should definitely reach out and contact us. We do have some capacity at this point. So give us a call. I'm excited for you. I, I feel like that's, it's got to be rejuvenating a little bit to have this opportunity to do things in a new way, to have a different incentive structure, to think about growth, rethink how you do the processes and things that uh, it takes to run a good business and serve clients well. I think that that must be uh, a real moment for you. Is that true? It is. It's very exciting. Everybody is pitching in. Um, and, you know, we have people looking at, you know, logos and we have people helping us design websites and all 21 of us are sort of all pitching in. And uh, we have various committees in charge of looking at benefits and everybody's really excited about it. And it's a tremendous opportunity. It's a very rare startup, though, that starts out with a f basically full business running. Is there any downside to that? I don't know. It's given us um, some more confidence in in starting this because we do have a good business, a group of, of committees that are already in place. Um, and it certainly helped us out with starting with such a large group of people to have the business already in place. The challenge is going to be to continue to look at, at what we're doing and figure out how to uh, structure it differently and to market it differently because we will need to do that a little bit and sort of constantly uh, challenging the way that we have done things over the years. Will you then refer legal problems back to the to enterprises that you're already connected to? Well, you know, each of these clients is going to have a lawyer. So um, if we do run into legal issues, we but would But you might have them. new clients that came not through them. Yes. Yeah. Yep. In those so, cases, yeah. Yeah, so they, they probably will have their own lawyers if they don't come to us with their own lawyers. I think um, having been in the field long enough to realize um, that sometimes they do need lawyers, we would strongly encourage them to find a lawyer and run certain things by them. I mean, primarily it is a regulatory practice so that we generally know what the rules are. There are usually pretty black and white rules on a lot of things, but there are certainly areas where political committees need to get 
legal advice and a legal call. And um, having been in the law firm for a long time, I certainly feel like I have a good sense of, of what that line is. In all the years that I was in the, the political space with campaign software, I never really ran into corruption. There was not like a level of corruption in committees per se. Everyone was trying to do the right thing, comply properly. Do you ever run into clients that that you're surprised at things that they might try that seem wrong? Um, you don't run into that a lot. I think your your experience is pretty typical. I think people do try and do the right thing. They try to to follow the rules, they try to comply. Um, there are some some gray areas where there's not a clear answer. Some clients are more risk averse than others. Some clients will say, I absolutely don't want to have any problems at all. So if it's at all a difficult call or it could be reflected badly on me, a suspicious mind in the press might write a story that says something that I don't want them to say, then they tend to be more conservative. There's some clients who are bigger risk takers. So they say there's not a clear answer and they say, well, let's let's try it or let's try some version of it. But no, I, I've, I've never run across any client who I would say is corrupt. They are knowingly taking contributions they shouldn't, or they are knowingly breaking some aspect of the law. It's really just a, a risk tolerance, and some, some clients will, will move further into that gray area than others feel comfortable doing. Christine, is there a question I haven't asked that I should have? <laughs> Um, not that I can think of. Um, that I think you have a, a good understanding of the industry, sort of having been uh, in an adjacent industry for a while. It's certainly an industry that people don't really understand much about. Um, even my husband doesn't understand really what I do. He tells people that I help people get around the contribution limits. <laughs> no. <laughs> So that's always an interesting conversation. <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the things is it's become a profession. And, you know, people, you know, there might be people in college who are interested in getting into politics, but kind of have the personality to deal with the details of numbers and the kind of things that compliance requires. What would you say to someone who might think this could be interesting about what it takes and what kind of person is a good fit? I think that that is something that I'm incredibly interested in is the increasing professionalism of the industry and getting people involved in the industry and having them make a career of it. I think you're right that it does attract somebody who is more numbers oriented, more detail oriented than some of the other areas in politics. It's nice because 95% of the time there is a clear answer and you just need to go find it. And that, that does attract a certain personality type. I would say, you know, get involved, contact uh, your local candidate committee. There may be definitely a role for you. Contact one of the, the practitioners, contact a party committee, a state party committee, one of the national party committees. Um, there are a, 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 an endless number of roles that you could take on. And it's just taking that first step and getting your foot in the door. And then once you have 
the particular technical skills in this um, field, it's invaluable for those of us who are working in the area. As I said, you can't just go out and hire somebody off the street to do this. You need to have somebody who's trained in it. And it's a, 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 an expanding industry. Weren't you part of some kind of trade association or similar body that was compliance people across both parties? What is that? Yep. So um, it's the Association of Political Compliance Professionals. We are still sort of trying to get it off the ground um, a little bit. It's it's a tremendous amount of work. But one of the things that we would love to do is have some sort of certification process, because right now anybody can say that they do compliance, whether they actually know how to do compliance is another subject. Getting people some sort of certification for people who are looking to do compliance to realize that the people know what they're doing. And that could be on the state level. It could be on the federal level. Um, there are certainly a ton of practitioners out there on the state level. And um, it's basically still uh, the Wild West out there. The federal area is built out a little bit more, but the non-federal area is still a, a lot of people who sort of do this part-time or, or somebody's cousin who's still doing it. But that's one of our goals is to further elevate the profession and to have some sort of certification and training aspect of it. That makes sense. Well, it's, it's been nice to catch up with you. Uh, anything else you want to say? Um, nope. Just this is an, an important part of, of the political system, even though a lot of people don't uh, don't see it. It's something that every political committee has to do. And there are those of us who are out there who are helping accomplish that. Well, I'm glad you've been doing it. And I wish you all the best and uh, success in this new enterprise. Great. Thank you so much. That was Christine Neville. Christine is at premierpoliticalcompliance.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.